this episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Ollie Bruce. Ollie is a CEO and founder of Pinpoint Media. He is the host of the Successes in the Mind podcast, which is one of the top 5%, 5 of podcasts on Spotify globally. Two S, correct. Yeah. yeah, and has previously been awarded Young Director of the Year by the Institute of Directors. Ollie, thank you so much for coming on. It's a good memory. No notes as well. Look yeah, yeah, this is, this is what I do. Right? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is it. But very, very interesting because you're also ADHD and dyslexia. Yeah, yeah. And I nearly got kicked out of school, managed to scrape my way through. I think you made it through seven. I right? made it through seven schools. I got one GCSE. I didn't get kicked out. I just left. Okay, yeah, fine. So yeah. what, what, was the, what was the story there? Because seven, that's, you know. It's a lot of schools. I mean, yeah. partly parents were in the military, so I was moving around a lot. But yeah. also education for me. I never really saw eye to eye with, with, with the structure. Mm -hmm. So we consistently tried different schools from private to comp, et cetera, et cetera to try and align me with that, or yeah. them, I suppose. It, it didn't really work how we wanted it to. For me, education, when I went to college, when I went to university, that for me was when I started to learn. Mm -hmm. School was just a necessity, I think, in reality. Yeah, yeah, and did you want to go to university because you wanted to learn, you wanted to do that thing, or was it just? Um, I wanted to go to college because one of my teachers told me that I'd never get there. Nice, okay, so it was chip on the shoulder. It literally was, yeah. she was like, you're never gonna get to college, let alone university. And I sort of thought, well, well, watch this. And it wasn't, you know, I did a BTEC, for instance. It was nothing special. I uh, did a BTEC in media, got a distinction in that, went to university after. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was quite bittersweet because she asked me a few, I say she, the school asked me a few years ago, can you come back and do a talk? And I thought, no, actually, <laughs> based on the fact there was no support there at the time, yeah. why would I go back? Yeah. And it was that little bit of kind of, yeah, thank you, I've done that because I believed in myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I, I got that offer and I, I did go did back. You? Yeah, just because I was thinking, one, I can tell all the kids not to bother with school. And that's really going to piss yeah, me off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but also just like, do you know what? I would love, I would have loved someone to just be real with me yeah, yeah, at that yeah. time and just be like, look, realistically, this is just the game. Yeah. And a good thing about playing this game is it keeps all your options open. Now, if it's not for you, it doesn't matter, 100%. but it does keep those options open. So then, but for you, entrepreneurism is always there. It kind of was. I mean, I was never able to, or I never saw myself going into, into, into that world of employment, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, my whole family have always been military. Okay. And I could never see myself aligning myself to rank and mm -hmm. regiment mm -hmm. to a certain extent. I've always done stuff, you know, when I was younger, I used to sell fruit, fruit and veg on the side of the road, okay. for instance, in the village, you know, nice. buy a marrow for five quid or whatever it was, five P, I don't know. Um, so I've always had that want to do something more yeah. than just go and work for somebody. But I never went out to start a business because I wanted to start a business, if that makes sense. I just knew that I wouldn't be able to do anything for anybody else. So I just tried to make myself as good as I could be. A hundred percent. I mean, that, that totally resonates. It's like, yeah. I know I'm unemployable. Yeah. You know, I know I cannot fit into any structure. But that's really interesting. So, I mean, what a massive departure, though, from yeah. the military background. Yeah. I mean, was that uh, something which your family took? Well, do they have military ambitions for you? What's I don't think they ever had military ambitions okay. for me. I think they could see that I would never have fitted that mould. So it's never as if they tried to make me fit that mould. I was very lucky. They put me through multiple different assessment centres to try and work out whether I was dyslexic, whether I was dyspraxic, whether I had ADHD, etc., which in turn turned out I did. Mm -hmm. But some kids, some families, etc., you'll just be, they'll assume that you're just stupid, for instance. You won't have the resource. I was very, very lucky. And I'll always say that I was very, very lucky in terms of who and what I had around me. Yeah. And I think that played a big part in terms of my ability to go, I don't have to do that because people want me to do that. I can do what I want to do because I want to do it to a certain mm -hmm. extent, knowing there was that support circle. Mm -hmm. And I think that, 
subliminally was really powerful. Yeah, well, I think for me that's that's freedom, yeah. right? Being able to do things that you want to do because you want to do them. I mean, that's for many people that's the goal in life. So it's incredible that you you know had that realization because I think a lot of people, uh, especially if they've gone through the school system, university system, feel like they have to go down that route. And I guess you know always realizing that you could do what you want to do is, is great. Yeah, I went to I did a talk actually at one of the schools called. Um, Maybe I won't name it. Um, I went to go and talk to their A-level students, actually. And I said to them, look, guys, A-levels just don't matter. They just don't matter. And the teachers were in the back kind of going, oh, God, okay. Yeah. I haven't been invited back, but we have a number of people that are in our office that went to that school. You know, and it's really interesting, me going and doing that talk there, saying that A-levels don't matter, and then going, actually, your guys are now working for us, and they're doing great things. And actually, the guy that joined first from that school, he didn't have qualifications. He wore, literally wore cufflinks, was a nice guy, and had a decent watch. And because I knew bugger all back then, I thought... You, Max, have got a job. Yeah. And literally, he was with us about four years. Wow. He was incredible. And now he's gone and done amazing stuff. But it was that, that ability to kind of go, oh, I've not got GCSEs or grades, so I'm not going to judge other people who haven't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that, you know, that understanding that not everyone fits in those boxes, just in the way that you said, does that impact the way that you do build a culture, the yeah. way that you, that obviously the way that you hire people, but because from, from my experience, I've always felt that, if I wouldn't work for someone else, if I can't fit in that structure, I can't expect anyone else to, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. You have, to, you have to be accepting of other people and know that actually the way that you work is just totally different to the way they work and vice versa. And actually building a culture of diverse equality and inclusive nature, you have to understand that. You can't, for instance, go, right, everybody must be in at nine. Mm. Everybody must wear shiny black shoes. Yeah, fine, that works maybe in the military, but we aren't in the military. Most people that generate revenue and money for the economy mm. don't have to do that. They're entrepreneurs, yeah. they're innovative. They, you know, look at us. We, we're building businesses, we're hiring people. I'm wearing fucking trainers and a cap. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I know that you're obviously a massive crypto and NFT yeah, enthusiast yeah. as well. Do you think that the new tech stack that we're associating with, with you know, Web3, although it's a bit of a bullshit term, mm. but you know, within that umbrella, I think the amount of opportunities that's giving to people to monetize their time in new ways yeah. and whether it be through a DAO and being remunerated that way, ultimately, if employers don't wake up to that and don't provide that flexibility, that framework to allow people from neurodiverse backgrounds, mm. diverse backgrounds, whatever it might be, to flourish, they're going to lose out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 100%. I think... I think people adopting tech as well in that world will be will be critical. And I think people that think outside the box, you and I, for instance, might adopt it slightly differently and might think of different use cases mm-hmm. for that tech. Again, if you look at AI, people go, great, you're going to be put out of a job. The reality is you're not going to be put out of a job. You might just be having to use the AI in a way that other people can't use it to get the best out of it. And I think at the moment, you know, with chat GPT, et cetera, et cetera, people are looking at it going, copywriters will be unemployed. And the reality is they probably won't. They might just get the best out of that AI, mm-hmm rather than somebody who doesn't know how to use it, going, well, it's written it for me, that'll do. Mm-hmm. And I think just ways of looking at that and being able to build companies around tech, like, for instance, blockchain, mm-hmm. like artificial intelligence, will be, again, the next iteration of, of new biz. I, I think it's fascinating. And, you know, the chat GPT one specifically, although I totally agree with you right now mm-hmm. in the way that's being utilized, it can only be a benefit to people to accelerate their process, to allow them to do better work. However, I do think the rate of innovation yeah. of AI does mean it would be maybe naive of us to say in five, six years' time, the level of capabilities there are there, I think does become a bit of a threat Mm -hmm. to jobs. Now, of course, new jobs will come with it, but I do think um, that potentially we are going to head into a bit of a crisis Mm -hmm. when 
the tooling and the availability of that tooling does hit a certain point where yeah. it's like, okay, I can't compete. And do you see it going that way? It's a really interesting one. And I was actually talking to someone from BAE Systems the other day and 85% of kids in school now mm-hmm. will in the future go into jobs that don't exist. Mm-hmm. Right? But there'll still be jobs out there. Yes. So yes, AI Will there be may, enough? Will there be enough? Well, that is a question that none of us can big, answer. big, question. That is a question. And I'm... I'm going to say there always will be enough jobs because people innovate and create employment in some way. Mm. Whether that's even on this world mm. is another question. Yeah, I think it's I think it's either so exciting or terrifying. I'm you know? properly excited, like with about any it. innovation, right? Yeah, yeah. What I think is interesting is is is, is the fact that 2023, right? They're saying that AI and search in general through AI will be more disruptive than when Google lo- launched in the early 2000s. Yeah. In one year alone. Like, that is scary. Because Google, for the last X number, 20, mm-hmm. 23 years, right, mm-hmm. has been there, has been at the forefront. You type it in, great, you get something, you search through, whatever. They're saying AI in a year will be more disruptive. I can imagine. And I think, um, again, two sides of the coin here, but people like me and you of our age group, right, we're used to utilizing search for information, yeah. obviously, but we're also used to differentiating between sources. And saying, well, look, I believe this source. I think it's credible. Mm-hmm. The thing that worries me a little bit with ChatGPT or, or other alternatives is if it's presenting a single source of truth without giving you the ability to say, well, actually, I want to, you mm-hmm. know, check the credibility of this source before assuming it's accurate. Mm-hmm. That's where I think there's going to be a real challenge. It's that whole legislative piece around, okay, autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. Who's programmed that car to not hit that kid and to hit that granny instead? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, who do you who do you hit? What do you do? What is that decision in that split second? And who is responsible yeah. for that? Is it the driver? Is it the car? Is it the person that programmed it? Is it the engineer, for instance? And that is a massive variable that no one really knows the answer to yet. Mm. And I don't know how you'll legislate against that because somebody or something has to be fundamentally responsible for that decision that that autonomous vehicle or that yeah. piece of AI has decided to do, or, yeah. you know, what is that? How does and, that work? And, and I think you're already seeing, because there have been a few cases of, of I think, incidents including Teslas, yeah. or involving Teslas, sorry, um, and they're already shirking away from yeah. their responsibility massively. Yeah. So I think you do need codes of conduct around this. One of the things that really scares me, or excites me, I don't know yet, we'll, we'll find <laughs> out over time, is in like a metaverse environment. Yeah, yeah. Right? If you applied state-of-the-art graphics, because state-of-the-art graphics now... Um, already insane. Yeah. But imagine where we'll be in five years' time. If you're putting on either an AR or VR environment mm-hmm. and you have a, a hundred avatars around you and they're all either real individuals yeah. who are in the metaverse as well or they are um, NPCs yeah. utilizing chat GPT technology. Yeah. Tell me you know which one's yeah. real and which one's not. It's very difficult. That is very difficult. I think... I think for me, what the future of that tech will be mm. is actually mixed reality. Yes. I don't, I don't think from a virtual point of view, we will sit in a virtual world and I won't be able to physically see it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. right now, we might have a digital interface around us, granted, yeah. and we might be talking and looking at things. That's cool. But I don't think virtually sitting in a digital world mm-hmm. forever will be a thing. Yes, it can't. Do you know what I mean? Because for that, one of those very reasons. Yeah. Although, and what I find very interesting is I don't think necessarily mixed reality protects against that because unless the the way that technology works is by recreating a genuine avatar of yourself mm-hmm. in that mixed reality environment in which case that's fair but if it is avatars because i think that and that will at least initially be yeah. what it is right and um i read on pr week recently i can't remember the name of the company mm-hmm. it was a company in the u.s genies 
the, who's done the, the AI interns. Oh, no, these guys are avatars. They've been going for a, right. a couple of years. Right, okay, yeah. fine. So I read about this company in the US. I can't remember the name of the company, but they're bringing in a new cohort of 50 interns, right. but two of them are AI. Two hey, of the interns okay. are So if you can apply an avatar to them, and I, I do believe the, the real accessible first initial use case of mixed reality will be work tools. Yeah, 100%. Because, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's the only way yeah. to get people yeah. of a certain generation into that environment yeah. is going to be through work tools. How do I know if the person sitting around the table is an AI intern or a real this intern? This is true. If you're not in the same room. Yeah, if you're not in the this same room. True. And this is, you know, it, it's a total mindfuck is what it is, right, basically. Yeah. I mean, that is the technical term. Um, it is a mindfuck because it, it, go, it goes back to how do you authenticate something. Yes. You know, it goes back, and you can't just put a blue tick over them. No, it clearly not. As like Elon Musk found yeah. out recently, it does not work <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Massive backlash. Um, yeah. But no, I just don't think you, you, you can do that. And it's an interesting, it's a very interesting problem. The fact that they'd released that they'd had X number of interns and two of them are AI. Yeah. Great PR spin. Absolutely. Great yeah, PR yeah, yeah. spin. For sure. I mean, that, that was the drive behind yeah. it. But, you know, I can see it. We're already utilizing AI massively within our organization. Yeah. And it... It may. I can totally see that over three years, as we scale up our our, yeah. our operations, that would have been two new hires that yeah. we won't hire now. That is the reality of it. Now it's making everyone else more efficient at their job, and it's making everyone, you know, better at what they do. But I do think it will impact hiring plans. But do we get to a stage where, and I think I think we might. But I'd love your view on this. Do we get to a stage where mixed reality content mm-hmm. is of a quality? and feeling of, of authenticity mm-hmm. that we start having a crisis of whether we're living in a simulation or not. I think, <laughs> that, oh, you're digging some deep holes here. Ah, uh, listen, this is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think there's already conspiracy theories around all of that, and you look at, and you can spend years on TikTok, yeah. literally. And people have already started speaking mm. about, actually, are we in this world? Are we not in this world? Are we yeah. dead? Are we? You know, and I think, yes, mixed reality might expedite that mm-hmm. slightly. But again, it goes back to that, subjectivity piece in terms of you can only be content with what is real if that makes sense there are people out there who will play games and live through those Mm -hmm. games and that is already a thing Mm -hmm. and i think as the world gets more and more technologically advanced the problem will remain the same yeah you know i know i'm in this world i know you're real yeah, well, I know. Bold claim to make these days. Well, it, bold claim is, I, I wouldn't go that far. That I don't know opinion. if I'm real. I don't know if I'm real. Prove yeah. me. You know, that is yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I suppose that is always going to be an opinion, mm-hmm. right? In that sense, you know, people form relationships with unanimous objects. Yes, that's yeah. their decision. Yeah, and I think there's an element of, okay, at what point is it discretionary? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult question to answer. But that is probably as far as I'd go with that one. If I'm being completely yeah. candid. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think you're 100 right, but I, I, I do. Th- think there is a big risk that we head into a bit of a societal crisis when I don't know if you saw um, there was a video going around quite viral uh, over Christmas of the guy doing the deep fake of Morgan Freeman yeah 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 yeah. you know and when it gets to that stage where I think we will find it incredibly difficult to discern between what is authentic and mm-hmm. what is simulated it does eventually beg the question of will the general psyche be able to handle the fact that we just can't know whether it's real or not. Now, whether it is or isn't actually doesn't matter, as mm-hmm. you said. You know, people are forging those relationships anyway. Yeah. But can community handle the fact that we'll no longer be able to know what's real and what's not? And I think it's going to cause a lot of problems. It will cause problems. I like to think, I like to think mm-hmm. that the general consensus or the general quorum of the majority of the population will be intelligent enough to make their own educated decision and be probably right. 
Fingers I hope. Crossed. Fingers Otherwise, crossed. we've got to. I'm going yeah. to Mars when Musk sorts that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> it goes I, I mean, I, I do really think there's a massive opportunity in um, helping people to utilize these technologies. Yeah. That's the best way to fight against any hysteria. Yeah. Is well, actually, this is how it works. This is how you can use it to make your life better. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a big responsibility of the chat GPTs to make it as accessible as possible. Yeah. If if every person, if every man, woman, and child can use these technologies to improve their lives, we'll be in a good position. And I hope that's what we get to. But arguably, you could turn it on its head and you could say, but the world will speed up, so mental health might be impacted more because people feel they have to do more and fill those gaps in that, in that Parkinson effect in terms yeah. of, you know, you've got that extra bit of time. So you're going to do more even though you just don't have to because mm. the tech is autonomous enough to do it for you. Yeah. And that, again, is another problem. Yeah, absolutely. It's so early stage at the moment. It is so early stage. But but what's, you know, reading a lot about your uh, your interest in NFTs and cryptos, what gets you really excited about the, the space? What gets me excited is, is, is the fact that from a, well, cre- let's look creative world, right? Mm-hmm. From the creative sphere, being able to fully copyright and own forever mm. IP on the blockchain, be that from a, media or a video point of view, all the way through to a a legislative legal document, doing that through the blockchain is non-copyable, non, uh, you can't plagiarize it, you can't fake it, you can't make it up, it is there Mm -hmm. as a piece of tech forever. I think that will just make the world a bit more transparent. Yes. And a bit more traceable. And is it something you guys are utilizing right now at Pinpoint? We, we have a metaverse office. We oh, do wow. indeed have a virtual office. Yeah, okay, yeah, which is really cool. cool. So we coded and built that on Spatial. And it's not public, yeah. but we do have our guys that can go in and do what they need to do. But what we are doing is we're building out these virtual rooms. So mm-hmm. people can go into these, essentially a room like this, but you put the headset on and you can relax, turn off, and it becomes this kind of experiential area. Nice. Which you can only do by going into the virtual office and by going into the room, right? So there's this kind of purpose to go into that office to then go into said room um and that's quite cool and that's really yeah. good but again we do it from an r&d point of view we're not monetizing it to our clients just yet we do a load of virtual and augmented reality anyway but in terms of the the virtual metaverse if that makes sense in terms of rooms in mm-hmm. terms of avatars and such like there isn't the direct business need mm-hmm. for the majority of people to have that just yet sure so by us cutting our teeth from an r&d point of view we'll be we are well positioned at the point that people go right we need to have X, Y, and Z yeah. because of this purpose and or this reason. And you guys are so well in We know what point. we're going to do. Like, mm. And again, we invest internally in that. It's not as if we as if we sort of build that out to clients. That's just something that we do. Really interesting. And how important is that then, I think, for, for any entrepreneur listening to this, how important is keeping your own team really au fait with the latest mm. technologies to the way that you guys do business? So what, so as a business, we have we structure it so that 20% of all of the team's time across the year mm-hmm. is classes R&D time. Amazing. And they can, and we have this one major R&D project that we do across the course of the year. So this one major kind of, uh, I suppose, bet to a certain extent. So last year we were doing obviously the metaverse, for instance, mm-hmm. this year we're developing this platform, which I was talking to you about mm-hmm. uh, earlier. And those are our key kind of plays and some will work and some won't work. And we've had some that haven't and we've had some that, that kind of, you know, do. And I think it's really important to give them that autonomously because they actually, for them, feel like they're adding value to the business. It's not necessarily financial. They're not necessarily having to work overtime because there's a project deadline. It's because they have the passion and want to make something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. So there's one of our guys, for instance, and I get in bloody early, right? I get in half six, seven o'clock in the morning. I get there, Harry is sat at his desk, right? He's doing what he's doing, he's coding, he's going on, he's doing this kind of passion projects. And I leave at, you know, seven or eight o'clock, he's still there. But it's because he wants to be. It's not because we're saying he has to be. And I think by giving them that ability to go, look, this is where we want to go. This Mm -hmm. is what we want to do. You guys work out how to do that. And we'll kind of put parameters in place if, for instance, we're veering off course and it's not necessarily the vision that we want to see. Yeah. 
But that said, you know, he's come up with some remarkable solutions that just simply weren't on our radar. That's so exciting. It's, it's like Google with the smart creatives and, and giving yeah. people that time. That's incredible that you guys can do that, the stage of organization that you are. But was Pinpoint the business you started in 19 or was that? Yeah, was yeah, that yeah, yeah. So it was. It was it wasn't actually a media company back then. Okay. So it was an app. So I built this app that was called, it was supposed to be a franchise. So we named it after all the counties in the country. So for okay. instance, Gloucestershire, right? Called it Pinpoint Gloss. We'd have um, all the best venues and locations on there. We'd do all the videos for those locations and venues. Mm-hmm. People would get discounts by booking it through the app, for instance, and they'd be able to see what it looked like, what to do, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a bit like sort of Groupon meets TripAdvisor meets sort of mm-hmm. Facebook's kind of put together. Um, and I was charging clients tuppence, literally like 50, 100 quid a month to, to be on the platform. Yeah. I would go out and make the videos. I'd go out and put them on the app, et cetera, et cetera. I actually just realized that A, barely anyone was using the app. Okay. B, franchising, it wasn't going to work. And C, actually, the reason they were paying me the money is because the video content was so cheap. So I went, let's just sack that off after literally eight months. Let's get rid of that. Focus on doing the content mm-hmm. specifically, but do high volume content at low cost mm. to undercut the main production companies that were out there at the time. Yeah. Which, again, you look at it now and you go, right, high volume content, I get that. Everyone gets that. Everyone needs that. But, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, one video was kind of like, well, why do I need that? Yeah, Let alone so. three. Do you know yeah, what I mean? absolutely. Because websites were just about, you know, their photography was just about their video was still a bit, what's the point? Yeah. Do you know I, what I mean? I, it's crazy how much the understanding and appreciation of that type of content has gone on. Literally 10 years ago, it was like, there's no way we can monetize things. No. I remember... Te- what are we now, 2023? Yeah, so 10 years ago is when we started Real Sport, and yeah. the big question was, wait, how are you going to monetize online? Yeah. You know, the fact that we were asking that question 10 years ago is crazy yeah. to me, but that's really interesting. But I think it's also an amazing lesson, especially with everything going on in terms of the macroeconomic environment, mm. that businesses need to just look at what the core value of their propositions are yeah. and just go all in on that. So yeah. it's, again, amazing that you did that in 19. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it, it was a passion project really for me because yeah. what I wanted to do was I wanted to start a production company and I wanted to um, be a presenter. None of that really works. However, you will see now on Netflix, there was a program called The Bank of Dave or a film called The Bank of Dave. Okay. Go back 10 years, you look at The Bank, or no, 2012. The Bank of Dave basically took on the high street banks, right? It was this individual, this wealthy, you know, multimillionaire, self-made, right. whatever. He took on high street banks and made this little northern bank. Okay. okay. And gave people money through his own financial well-being and then put a bit of interest on it. Great, mm-hmm. cool, fine. Anyway, they've just made a film on Netflix. The only reason I went into business technically was because I watched the Bank of Dave and no I went, way. that's really cool. I want to do something like that. And that was it. The, the production company was the only way that I could make it something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because it's the only thing I knew. Yes. Um, had I known something else, I might have done something else. Yeah. But I was at college doing, or university doing media. And I was like, well, there you go. That's, that's what I'll do. I'll produce an app that people can log on to. I'll make some videos, but I'll have it under a production company mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. Called it at the time Straight Line Productions, and mm-hmm. the brand was just called Pinpoint Gloss. Anyway, that's how it all started. And now, 10 years down the line, yeah. what's the ambition? Because that's a really interesting driver, right? You wanted to be in business, you yeah. knew that side of it. Is that still the driving motivation, just the love of building business? Well, it wasn't or? wanting to be in business, it was wanting to do something right. that I owned, okay. but that actually paid me to do it, right? Yes. So it wasn't like I wanted to go and hire staff. It was that I thought, okay, Bank of Dave's made a bank. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. But he's done it and it's him and he works for himself, right? So what can I do? Well, I've got a production company. I can do that. I can work for myself. I can build myself out. The fact that the staff became a thing was because I didn't have enough hours in the day. Yeah. Someone's yeah. got to edit the stuff you shoot. Absolutely. Yeah. As these guys, you know, as everyone Yeah, does. yeah, of um, And I literally filmed it. I edited it. Then I hired some staff. I was at university at the time with two members of staff, graduated, and, and that was it. And I filmed for two, two or three years after mm-hmm. that. So um, it's super organic. Super honestly, organic in terms of the, the whole thing was organic. And if I had my time again, it was brilliant fun doing it organically. 
fucking stressful yeah. because you have to reinvest everything. And you never really have the ability to go, great, I can take a, a salary to a or, certain or extent. Time off, or, or time off. Or time off, literally. And it's it's it took five or six years to get to a point where actually I was taking probably a comparable salary to somebody that might have graduated university. Yeah, yeah. Do you know but what I mean? It's, but it's, it's all about that foresight yeah. of saying, look... Yeah, and it sounds like you had multiple drivers, right? Not just the foresight of saying, well, I know that this is going to make itself back round salary-wise mm. and I'll make more money in future, but just the desire for that autonomy. Basically, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and having fun as well, like doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I've, I went into business uh, with an initial business partner who I met at a house party at uni. Okay. I was like, mate, here's 50% of a business that yeah. doesn't really exist, but have it anyway. How did it go? Bad? Well, no, well, well for <laughs> three good. years, then badly. Meeting someone at a house party, like the fact that you got three good years out of it, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's good. He, mate, he, was, he was at a house party because his girlfriend was there. He was a bit older. Okay. Um, so he wasn't a uni student, but he, like gifting someone 50% in hindsight, massive mistake. Yeah. yeah, 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 I can imagine. Um, and then three and a half, four years later, when he texted me saying, and he didn't drink, right? Texted me saying, mate, do you want to buy me out? You can earn twice as much. Texted him back and said, Henry, mate, are you, are you drunk? He was like, no, no, I'm being deadly serious. Now, the point that you get a text saying, I want to be bought out of a business, there is absolutely no way that you can get them back in that business fully motivated. No, the only no, no, option no. is to buy them out. For sure. And they've got a number in their mind, Yeah. right? And if you haven't got that cash, which we didn't in the bank, how do you get rid of them for the value that they're happy with and to make sure that you've still got a business at the end of the day? And that was the first lesson in business I ever had mm. as to you really have to make sure that what you're doing is right. Absolutely. Because when you start a business, it's great. Company's house for 20 quid or whatever yeah, it is these yeah, days. Yeah, like, oh, this is easy. Cut the shares to someone, whatever. If it works and it, they go, you know, they want to leave, it can really bite you in the ass. Totally. It really bite you in the ass. The amount of businesses that I've seen that have just fallen over because they don't have a good founders agreement, good shareholders agreement in place. Now, obviously the fact that you didn't raise external finance mm -hmm. is, is great in that situation, but that's the sort of thing which if you had external investors in the business and you've got, you know, one key shareholder who wants to leave, like I've seen businesses close down overnight yeah. because yeah. it's just impossible to get around it yeah. and then they can hold it for ransom and do all these things. I mean, it, it, it's brutal. Yeah. It really is tough. really, I mean, it would have been very easy for me to have gone, actually, I really want him. I'll give him 2%. Mm. He'll have had 50% for his because he went to dilute his. I'd have been a minority really because they yeah. could have come together and offered, you know, and it's things like this that you just don't know until really you do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. no one, I went, never did a course where someone went, right. This is what a share purchase or a shareholders agreement is. This is what equity actually means. Yep. Right? This is and this is why a share is a pound and actually you can issue more shares and this is what the different voting. Yeah. What the fuck does all that mean when you're yeah. starting out? Well, this is the thing, you know, so it was 2012 when you started. 13. 2013. Yeah. So the same year I started yeah. Real Sport, right? I'm, I'm two years older than you. But at that time, it, entrepreneurialism was no way near as accessible as it is now. Yeah. People having conversations on LinkedIn, what is equity, or all these things. You were shooting in the dark back yeah. then. There was nowhere to go, no had any idea. It's one of the things we're really passionate about with Connected is yeah. how can we help people understand these fundamentals, which you can have an amazing business, but unless you do those fundamentals right, it can just come back and bite you in that way. Yeah, literally. And, and since then we have, and it was only figured out at the point that my now business partner bought in, right? Okay. So A, I got him to buy in. Great. Right, so there's a transaction. But B, the way that we initially did the share buyback was wrong. Again, because no one advised me. The legal firm that we used did it incorrectly. So our then new legal firm found this <laughs> out, had to sue them. We won the suing, but technically... What, sued the last legal firm? Yeah, Great. but technically... That'll show. But literally, <laughs> what it means is that shareholder that I apparently bought out two or three years prior, right, 
still had shares, but also had the cash Insane. from me, so still had rights within the business that I didn't know about. Insane. And it was only because a legal firm looked into it that was bigger and better than yeah. the previous that they went, mate, you've made another mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, this was, and this was really common back at that time when, you know, you'd have a sit down with a lawyer and you needed to search out tech lawyers or lawyers who understood Basically, startups, yeah. whereas now every single lawyer understands it. But yeah, it's a different world. Totally different world. And actually, people are now all right to go, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it seems, and whether that's because we are maturing or we're talking to more people, I don't know. But it does seem to me that more people are okay to say, wait, I don't understand what net gross means. I don't understand what EBITDA means or whatever yeah. it might be. Whereas when I started, asking a question for me almost felt like I shouldn't be doing what yeah. I'm supposed to be doing. Like yeah. business, for instance. You should know it if you're going to go into it. Yeah, and I think... Don't it, ask questions. A hundred percent. And generation to generation, you see it happen. Yeah. And it's quite it's been very beneficial, I think, for our generation, which is sometimes you're dealing with someone late 40s, 50s, and it's like you're running rings around them and they're not going to ask you what yeah. it's about. Um, but I think it goes back to the growing up on search. Yeah. You know, the premium on knowing things is nowhere near what it used to be. Just mm-hmm. because the accessibility of information is so high, like I don't need to know it off the top of my head, yeah. I can go and search it. Literally, absolutely. But it does go back to that analogy of you need to have good people around you to make yourself successful. Yes. But then it's subjective as to what success is, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of the questions I'm going to ask you. <laughs> was it? Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 it's good, but we'll get to it. All right, so on that note, there's five questions yeah. that I ask everyone, not quick fire or anything. Okay. okay, the first question I've got for you is, what's the single biggest risk you've taken yeah. and what was the outcome? Okay, really easy answer. Um, pandemic happens. Mm-hmm. Production company shut down. We, at that time, were looking at moving, well, three months prior, we were looking at moving offices. I remortgaged my flat. I wow. took, took 110,000 quid cash out, which we were going to buy an office with as a down payment. Wow. Didn't need that, right? Because the pandemic happens. We thought we would brilliantly pivot into this world of distribution and supply. Okay. Put 110,000 quid into it. Betted incorrectly, lost it. Wow. We put it in as a director's loan, which was okay. Yeah, okay. Right? But nevertheless, we still lost it. Yeah. That, for me, was the single biggest mistake that I have ever made. But the outcome of that was I learned a lot. Mm. And it was setting it up, making sure you do due diligence, and never rush into a deal. I mean, that's awesome that you, you know, took that risk. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people out there who would much rather play with other people's money. Um, And it says a lot that you, you know, did it We did it because we had to put a down payment. Yeah. Like, literally, if you have to buy a product and you're in the middle of something which is so variable, pennies and pounds are going up minutes, like seconds in the day sort of thing, for instance. What was it that you were going to just... Supplying and manufacturing, hand sanitizer, units, that kind of stuff. The stuff that you needed to be able to go into a restaurant and clean your hands or whatever, it was visors, whatever. But you had to buy the stock. And it was so competitive that if you didn't buy it there and then, the price in... An hour's time. It was insane. There were so many people I know who lost tons of money on that. And we were one of them. We were one of them. Like, it was personal cash, though. And that was the thing because, and again, you look at it, there's news articles online. It looks like it worked really, really well. But the reality of it is, A, we broke even. And B, initially, we lost all that cash. Yeah. And this is the thing. I blame the government for this Mm. because they were actively telling people, import this stuff. We need it. We need it. And then they were giving the contracts to their mates. It was just corrupt. Yeah. But nothing more corrupt than when you're buying from, and this was through experience, you're buying from Shanghai, right? You're Mm -hmm. buying in China. Mm -hmm. You're putting, let's just say, 100 grand down. It was a bit more in terms of actually what you'd finance it for. But you put money down. You have 3 million pieces of product that are coming over from there, right? You go to the airport, then an American turns up with a briefcase with 200 grand more. They'll give it to the Chinese person. They'll take that 1.2. They'll keep your million. They've made 2.2. You never get your product. They go off to America. That happened. I kid you not, more than I have fingers on my hands. Whoa. Not just to us, but to other people. It's, it's, it's terrifying to yeah. think. But it was, uh, you know, in many ways we saw 
a lot of the amazing side of humanity during COVID. Mate, it was one of the best times for that. But we also saw the worst. For sure. But arguably, I think think it brought people closer together than ever. Yeah, it it really did, you know. And I know it's a bit cringe about the 8pm on the Thursday night clapping for the NHS. But how quickly you forget. Mm-hmm. right it's like what have you done for me lately now the nurses can't get a pay rise yeah. you know in line with anything else so it's it's absolutely there was a lot of good feeling and a lot of of good feeling at the time but you know i think with politicians being caught out for everything left right and center and just the fact that they can no longer deny it because they're caught no, on I camera know. i know it's just no surprise i fall in love with politics are, though oh god like, i used to be mildly interested in it yeah, in, yeah to, to the level of i would read up look at believe and understand and now i go not really that interested. Well, it's all fake. Yeah. It's all fake. The people change, the system stays the same. Like, yeah. it's just, that is just the way it yeah. is. But the thing is, again, I think this is where you could either see that as super depressing mm-hmm. and feel like you have no way of changing things, or you can see it for what it is and be like, well, these are actually the way to change things. Let's pursue that. All right, my second question for you is, what does it take to be successful? What does it take to be successful? Uh, uh, good people, fundamentally but also the want and the ability to make something that's bigger than the sum of your own parts. Mm-hmm. It's not money, right? It's not mm-hmm. money. You don't go into business and want to make money. Fundamentally, if you want to make money, go and work for someone. Yeah, or go, go, and work in, go and work in the city <laughs> or buy a house or something like that. Yeah. Do Airbnb. You ain't going to make money, but what you can do is you can surround yourself by really interesting, really good people and learn from them. Ask questions. Ask questions. It's not stupid to ask questions. That's great. So it's a definitely a, a dyslexic thing as well, I think. You have to ask questions, otherwise I know I'm getting That's why through, I started right? the podcast, because yeah. it was like counselling. It just so happened that you could air the counselling and other people could learn from it. <laughs> yeah. But it is. You ask the questions, you learn from it, you take what you want to take from it. If you don't ask the questions, technically, that is a mistake. 100%. Because you're guessing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a learning opportunity. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Okay. What are you proudest of? Well, my proud- I'm really proud that we made it through the pandemic without getting rid of anybody without getting rid of anybody. We made it through, yet fine, it was turbulent, but we didn't have to get rid of anybody. We hired after that, we grew through the pandemic in terms of branding, so that when we got out of it, we could really, really pump. So for me, it was the fact that we could maintain, pay, look after, and grow after uh, the pandemic. Yeah, I love that, that's great. And it's, you know, so fulfilling being able to do that. The worst thing is it, you know, ever having to make redundancies. And Never I guess that. that's another beauty of, of doing it bootstrapped. Mm. You know, you hire what you can afford rather than just going for these vanity metrics. Literally, all right, exactly that. Because, I mean, I've never had to spend someone else's money and I still really don't understand. I look at people that get VC funding for millions of pounds and you're spending someone else's money. You're not wanting to make a profit at that time. Mm -hmm. You're just hiring for the sake of a metric to a certain extent. And actually for us, we have only ever spent money we've had in the bank. So you're very, very true to yourself, right? Yes. And actually it's really grounding. Yeah. Because if you haven't got the money then you can't do it. Yeah. And I, I genuinely believe that anyone who has built a bootstrap business has a much better chance of success with a venture-backed business if they decide to do it in the future mm-hmm. because they understand the fundamentals. Literally. I mean, we are you know. so focused on EBITDA, net profit, whatever it is, time allocation. It's, mm. it's down to the minute. Like, we have time tracking in the office, not because the guys need to do it so that we know they're working, but just to make sure that, A, they're not overworking, yeah. B, they have enough downtime, and C, we know where our pounds, pennies, and, you know, shrapnel is going essentially yeah 100 percent. and and that mentality now is it's it again right it's now the flavor of sentiment which yeah. is which is great you know yeah. it's great i don't think over hiring forcing redundancies you know destroys people's lives yeah 
you know, at least in that moment. So it's it's amazing to hear that you guys were able to do that. Hundred percent. And flexi working was a massive thing, mate. That came mm. from KBook, the pandemic. So we, you know, if guys don't want to come into the office, they don't have to. Um, we say you should come in twice a week from a yep. mental health point of view. Try and make that a thing. Yeah. Um, but again, they can work between ten and two. That's the core hours. What they do around that, as long as they hit deadlines, totally cool. That's very cool. I like that. You know? So they've got to be available to the team between ten and two, and the rest if they want to work from five a.m. until two p.m. Doesn't matter. Yeah, as, I like as long that. as they hit deadlines. Like we had guys over the weekend working, and yeah. they might clock off in the mornings, for instance, just to make those that time back. Equally, they might not. They might just want to do it because they love to do it. But the reality is, as long as the deadlines are hit, mm. why should it matter when they walk through that door? And also, like, unless you've got micromanagers, no yeah. one would know. Literally. Right? It's like, it's, it's, everything should be output driven. Yeah. Everything should be output driven. And if you are brilliant at what you do and can get it done in 15 minutes, fair play. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Use AI. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> exactly that. Okay. So you've sort of answered this. So I'm going to have to push you for another one. Okay. Um, if you could do one thing differently in yeah. your career, what would it be? Yeah. Oh, 100%. If I could do one thing differently, I wouldn't rush. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know I said about the investment thing and that's great, but I physically wouldn't rush into things without 70% of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I use examples such as we were trying to start a business about six years ago that mm-hmm. was aggregating freelancers together and we were then matching it to businesses based on budget through algorithm. Okay. So you'd say I need a photographer in London tomorrow for 600 quiz. We'd have a pool of people on there. It would match it to you and then you could work with them or they could bid or whatever against yes. other people, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. To get the work. Anyway, we didn't do enough research. We raised a bit of money for it. It didn't really work. We didn't put enough time into it, but we thought it was a good idea and rushed into it. Yeah. So we didn't take stock and actually look at the bigger picture. So for me, it would definitely be just taking a step back sometimes. That's great advice. It's great advice. Okay, my last question for you today is 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. 15-year-old who walks into the room right now, what advice are you giving him? What advice am I giving him? Speak to people who have done it before you go and do it, even if it's not in the sector you want to go into. You know, I hadn't spoken to an entrepreneur mm. at the age of 15. I'd spoken to people that were in the military. Mm-hmm. I'd spoken to people that were in farming because of where I lived, you know. But I'd never spoken to someone that had gone and built a business, whether that's a £1,000 a month or whether that's a £100,000 a month business. I'd never spoken to someone like that. So I had no idea what it needed. It's interesting. I, I always think about this because very similar to you, you know, I, I went in super blind. I think anyone yeah. who's explores entrepreneurialism at a young age always does and it means you're totally deluded when you do it like you have no idea naivety but it also means you're fearless in many ways right you don't know all the things that could go wrong so it's uh it's yeah it's the i don't know ignorance is bliss sometimes but i do think it is though i think if you you know if you look at a production company Mm. you'd be mental to go into the world of a production company or or media i suppose when you look at how diluted it is yeah yeah, but if you and, and i suppose it it contradicts to a certain extent what I'm saying in terms of taking that step back. But 15-year-old me, for instance, being naive was a good thing. Yeah. Because I just went for it. Yeah. However, if I'm 30 and naive... 100%. And you've you've had that education of who to talk, you know, then it might not work. But if you're young, you can kind of get away with a bit of naivety. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mate, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, dude. Appreciate it.